Welcome back to the next episode on the For Dog's Sake podcast. Today's topic is breed traits. Now, if you're a dog trainer, you'll know what we're talking about. And if you're not a dog trainer, we're going to explain exactly what we mean by that in this episode. So today you've got me, as always, Louise Campbell-Pearson, founder of Canine Friends, and we've got... Jay Gurdon, founder of Blue Mole Minion, and I also run Good Guardianship. And we've got an, a very lovely guest on here today. Her name is Lauren Taboni. I'll go over to her to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm the founder of Spirited Dog Training and Behaviour down in Bleen in Kent. We focus on mainly classes for obedience and also for dog sports. But when I say dog sports... We are looking at the fun side, not the competition side. We very much look at building the relationship between owner and dog and having some real fun with your pets. That's our aim. Yeah, you do some really good agility classes. They're very popular. Very, very popular. I've also, as a side note, known Lauren for 25 years. That sounds mad when you say it out loud. (laughs) 25 years. Um, Literally, we've known each other most of our lives. But yeah, so it's really, really great to have her on today. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy hearing from her, particularly on this topic, um, because she's very, very knowledgeable. And I think she'll make a great guest. But I think Jay's got a few things to introduce us to a little bit about breed traits to explain a little bit what we mean and kind of the reasoning behind it all. Yeah. People tend to think that dogs evolved from grey wolves. They didn't. Both grey wolves and dogs evolved from a common ancestor thousands of years ago. We don't know exactly how long ago it started. We quite possibly never will, but it was a very long time ago. And ever since wolves and dogs diverged from that ancestor, the dog has developed to be an animal that lives alongside humans. Again, we don't quite know exactly the details of how it all took place, but... The way in which evolution works is initially it works by natural selection. The traits that mean an animal is more likely to survive are the ones that get passed on down through the generations. And so as the dog came to live closer with humans, it was the traits that allowed them to live alongside humans, which were the ones that that survived. And at some point in our history, humans decided that dogs were quite useful. So we started deliberately breeding dogs to do jobs for us. So initially, you're going back sort of those generations and those thousands of years, like back to the hunter-gatherer humans, and we had dogs that could help us hunt. We had dogs that could help us move livestock, could help us protect livestock, could protect our properties. This carried on for thousands and thousands of years. And then during the Victorian era, dog shows started to become popular. And that's where a lot of the breeds that we have now were developed because... You know, these, these sort of canine beauty competitions became quite fashionable. All of these different breeds were developed. And in the last sort of two, three hundred years, the role of the dog has changed to become more of a companion role a lot of the time. But the thing is that these dogs are all descended from those dogs thousands of years ago who were hunters, who were protectors, you know, who did exist to move livestock. And it is these ancient genetic drives that are what we call breed traits. So these are the things that over all of these generations, this dog has been honed to do. And of course, now you have that cute dog on the rug. You know, we don't, don't need them to do all these jobs anymore. But nobody's told the dog's genetics that. Such a good way of explaining <laughs> it. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, it, you, you've had a dog that's been bred to do a specific purpose, such as work with livestock for years and then and then the next dog that the puppy from the next litter suddenly it's not doing that and suddenly it's expected to be a house bet and struggled yeah absolutely because they have these this sort of genetic memory that they are supposed to be doing these things they go and they find ways to satisfy those drives because doing what they have been selected to do what they have evolved to do it feels good to them And it can so often be that these traits that were desirable for so many thousands of years, you know, what was handy sort of out on the plains of Europe isn't exactly very handy in a back garden in Surbiton. (laughs) No, it's Ridgebacks. Um, (laughs) I think it's where you're going with that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Along those lines, yeah. But to kind of chase away lions and and we're expecting it to sit at home and 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 get frustrated when it barks at the slightest noise at the door the dog's been bred to guard for thousands of years and now we're expecting it to play with our children <laughs> like yeah yeah it, it really it's it's quite a, a mismatch from what they have been developed to do i mean for for thousands and thousands of years dogs were tools 
of course, now attitudes are changing and thankfully, you know, it's a really good thing that attitudes are changing. They're becoming a part of the family now yeah. rather than, you know, just traditionally, for example, let's say gun dogs. Um, and there's nothing wrong with gun dogs. Gun dogs have a fantastic purpose. They're often worked. But historically, a gun dog breed would say be outside in the kennel and live out there and it would be very, very happy out there. It'd be working all day. But then the next dog is a house pet from that from that kind of offspring. And then they're expected to do a completely different thing. And suddenly it's part of the family, which is great. But that's a bit of a difference to what that generation has known uh, or the different generations within the breeds have known for years and years and years prior to that. And I suppose that's what people don't realise when they go and get a puppy from a breeder who breeds working line dogs. And the breeder doesn't want to keep these specific puppies because they're not good for his line. But to a generic owner, that's, well, that's great because that's a puppy for me. That must be a pet. Well, it's still got those same genetics just because they're not right for that purpose from that breeder. So you've got this gun dog who is used to, you know, they've been bred for being out working in the field sort of all day, flushing, retrieving and so on. And then all of a sudden you've got the next generation who is going around the block on the lead twice a day. And it it's just, it's not... A good fit. No, definitely not. And I also think there's a real common misconception that working equals best. Um, it's true. It's yeah. true, isn't it? That you is know, true. oh, my dog's working line. That means it's the best. No, working lines have been bred often for their high levels of energy, their stamina. Um, particularly when you're thinking of, say, a, a cocker, working cocker spaniel or a springer spaniel. These are the dogs that have been bred for very, very, very high energy, very kind of uh, long attention span. So they're not a dog that's going to be satisfied for five minutes of play or five minutes of engagement because they've been specifically bred to keep, keep engaged for much, 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 much longer, longer than that and to keep and to run out all day and work all day. So working isn't what's best, but working is what's best if if that's what you need and your lifestyle needs and that's what your lifestyle dictates. Um, equally, the show lines or, or you know, non-working lines, maybe what's a better fit for you. I, I think that there tends to be this, this, like you say, this perception that working is the best. Um, they're the best at what they're bred to do, what they're designed to do, what we have designed them to do. So they are the best at being out there and working all day. You know, it's, it's exactly the same. I, I have collies and it's exactly the same with collies. You know, it's fantastic watching a sheepdog doing their thing with the sheep, making it look so easy and effortless. It's not that easy and effortless when you're training them. I remember that all too well. You then, you take that dog and you put them in that, that back garden in Surbiton we mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, I'm not picking on Surbiton at all. It was just the first place that came to mind. I've been watching The Good Life again. I've been watching The Good Life again, which... <laughs> <laughs> we love Surbiton. <laughs> you, you take a high-energy dog like your working Cocker Spaniel and you have them in this back garden and they, they're going to start looking for things to do because they're used they're very busy dogs they're very used to having things to think about having things to actively do and if we in our lifestyles can't provide that they're going to go looking for it themselves and that's when problems can really start and that's when people like lauren get called in to help (laughs) (laughs) yeah and again i think that's another mixed message that owners get some owners have a what they would call an active lifestyle which i'm sure they absolutely do so they would think that the working line is a better fit for them because they're active and they like doing outdoor things but again you still have to pick the right breed and you still have to pick the right dog and the right breeder that's going to be happy with your active lifestyle not necessarily you doing lots of engagement and brain stimulation with them during the day yeah because that's the thing as well an active household is often like you say what they think appropriate for a working mm. working line actually so much of it's mental stimulation that they're lacking that's it and it's not just the exercise it's not just the walk uh, walks it's the mental stimulation it's the having a purpose which is where things like doing agility with someone like lauren is so beneficial to these dogs because it's giving them something to learn it's challenging their brains it's giving them a kind of stimulating environment outside of the of just standard um, you know, teaching your dog to sit and taking on a walk once a day. And it builds your relationship. That's the thing. If the dog's doing something fun and it's a teamwork activity with the owner, that relationship gets so strong and you end up having a much more content dog and ideally a better behaved dog. I can't speak for every dog, but it does happen sometimes. But generally, if you're meeting your, your breed's requirements, generally those problem behaviours, in inverted commas, as Jay and I don't like the term problem behaviours, uh, but generally those behaviours 
lesson because you've got a dog that's being catered for and all their needs are being met not just the needs you think they need to be met and something else i think that a lot of people don't think about especially when we talk about these working dogs that that we're all familiar with they have actually been bred to work closely with people if you think about a gun dog they're sort of they're down here by by the the shooter side waiting to be sent off the sheep dogs you know they're waiting for a command from the shepherd so they're actually bred to work very very closely with their people which is where the activities like the agility and so on do they they really do cater to that because it's something that you're working together as a team which so many of these working dogs they're crying out for that you know that's what they really really enjoy and on the other hand with the more independent breeds there's still activities you can do together your independent hunting breeds there's a fantastic book and i'm ashamed to say the author name has escaped me but the title is hunting together and it is all about being out kind of (laughs) out in areas where the dogs can see squirrels and things moving and it's being part of that but also not you're not necessarily allowing your dog to go for the chase and for the hunt but you can be part of a part of that sequence of behaviours and let your dog be a bit more content in themselves with that small outlet. Yeah, Simone, Simone Mueller. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. Yes, it is. <laughs> Breed appropriate outlets is what is you know what yes. you're talking about. Like redirecting if your if your dog has a high prey or chase drive, and reengage that onto something like say a tug enough toy, mm-hmm. or you know get them to redirect that onto something with a bite area that mimics kind of prey. Um, and it's not about saying oh my you know my dog isn't allowed to do that because that's something that is inherent with them give them an outlet to be able to do it in, in an appropriate way in our society find you know working out what those natural drives are and finding ways to fit them into our lives because there is always a way to fit their needs into our our lives i know you love the tug enough toys um because they are just so fantastic and so versatile and once you've found that all with with simone's uh, program with the, the hunting together it's once you're satisfied those instinctual drives you suddenly you have a much in inverted commas better dog because they're happy they're satisfied they're getting to do their thing and that is so massive for them and if we can get more people to do this kind of thing i think we would have far less behavior problems i completely agree yeah 100 percent there's so many like cases where i get called out to, to let's say for example a common one that occurs in adolescence, you know, the, the dog's being destructive. Oh, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm walking the dog every day. I don't understand why the dog's still being destructive. And often you find it's because the other needs aren't being met. Their mental needs, they're bored a lot of the time. And, and there's this common misconception that taking your dog for a walk solves all these problems and it doesn't and it's not often enough there are some dogs that are genuinely content with just a half an hour around the block a little bit of fuss and play in the day and that's it they're content with that they often tend to be the companion breeds for example i know we've mentioned quite a lot but the working breeds they tend to not it tends to not be enough for no, them absolutely not and it not just working you know within that umbrella guarding breeds mm. um pastoral you know there's all different types of breeds that are encompassed within that gun dog um that, that kind of need more of a purpose um and i just always you know i think it's so important to kind of know what you what do you want from a dog and i get asked all the time i don't know if you do what dog do you think i should get no and I wish I did I get asked it quite a lot and I'm like well what do you want from a dog and then they tell me and I go well we're gonna let's go find a dog that suits that then you know could be a rescue it could be you know it doesn't necessarily need to be a puppy um which actually bridges quite nicely into your topic because you wanted to talk about rescues and kind of yeah what okay so Again, I think we could probably go back to talking maybe about time in the pandemic when suddenly getting a rescue dog became a huge problem. Lots of people obviously wanted a dog at this time. Rescue, lots of people were very much an advocate for rescues um, and they wanted a rescue dog. Now, a lot of the big name charities weren't doing any rescue meetups or going to see new homes at this time. So I did find a lot of people turned to rescues from abroad, which is absolutely fine. I've got no issue with that. Um, But I have noticed since the pandemic, a lot of these rescue dogs that I go and see have actually got certain breeds in them that are not ideal for the living situation they're in, for the family they've been put with. 
Um, and not only that, they've gone through the trauma of being transported over in the first place. That's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have found many of these dogs that I go and see actually have livestock guardian breed in them. That is not a dog that you can put in a townhouse in the middle of a little village um, and just expect to be able to take on walks and kind of work or a flat, through or a flat in London. Yes, like, yeah, absolutely. You just go to a flat in London um, and so many it's not places. appropriate. No. Um, and obviously a lot of people, all these owners, don't know what a guardian livestock breed is. And actually a lot of the rescues, although they may be aware of the breed, they haven't done a DNA test on the dog before bringing it over. There'll be a few pictures and it'll be all, there's a little bit of collie in there, maybe a bit of Labrador. And, you know, to... The average owner, great, sold, 16-week-old Labrador cross puppy coming. Of course, why wouldn't I want that? And I have found that a huge issue in the last two years. So livestock guardian breeds, they're not really ones that we encounter very much in this country. So if you could just sort of explain some of the breeds and give us a couple of their kind of traits. Um, Okay, so one in particular that I've worked with a lot would be the Anatolian Shepherd. Uh, they do come from Turkey originally. They're made for being up on the mountainside. They look after flocks of sheep and goats and they look after these animals solitary. They don't work with owners or farmers particularly. They're actually left out there to chase off you know, wolves and other predators on their own. That's their own choice that they have to make. They're not given a cue to do it. There's no work and training that's massively gone into it. Just a massively inherent breed trait. Absolutely. Um, So that's one of the main ones that I do find coming across. Oh, and another one um, is the the Romanian Shepherd. So a lot of the dogs coming over from Romania, as well as a few other countries, some owners have even been told there's possibly a Romanian Shepherd in your dog. And if you don't know what a Romanian Shepherd is, your instinct is, okay, maybe a bit like a German Shepherd. Well, they're not like a German Shepherd. <laughs> Again, they're made for working on their own, protecting their livestock, um, which when you're in your flat in London or living in your village with your new rescue dog, is you. You become the flock. And your house and garden, if you have a garden, becomes the territory that this dog naturally, need, naturally needs to guard. Mm. Absolutely. So you, you, you've got masses of room there for like resource guarding, territorial guarding. Hugely, absolutely. Um, not particularly social. Yeah, so you say people hear sort of shepherd and they think of that close working relationship, whereas in actual fact, these breeds are the exact opposite, aren't they? Yes, exactly. They are completely different breed. And you've kind of almost got owners not having really a clue what they're getting themselves in for um because unfortunately some of these smaller charities just don't have the resources to do proper checks with proper educated behaviorists that kind of really know what they're looking for when it comes to placement and i find it a lot myself so 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 many people and they're so so well-meaning and definitely have their place but so so many clients have dogs that are for example ex-street dogs and Mm. They come with so many problems and they struggle to adjust. And what happens a lot of the time, and I've seen this time and time again in multiple cases, the dog is flooded. And the dog, when they have their kind of initial assessment, they're in a certain environment, let's say they get put into a kennel type setup abroad. The dog's flooded, it's very shut down. They take a video of it, they send it to the owner. It looks like to the owner this quite shy, quiet Um, guarded little dog oh that's lovely I'd love to help that dog when the dog feels comfortable and happy all its natural breed traits come out which often happens with guarding particular resource guarding is a real thing for street dogs because that's how they survive and then they wonder why you know when the toddler walks past it growls at the toddler because it walked past their food you know all these kind of things that that are hidden kind of almost when they're going through their assessment because these smaller places don't have the resources necessary to do proper assessments. Absolutely. And again, just touching back to what we were saying about breed traits and how um, dogs in generations, you know, they have in their DNA jobs to do, outlets that they need to satisfy. Street dogs, a lot of them are built for survival. And that goes back generations. And you can't just bring it over, put it in a house and be like, well, I've saved you. So surely you should understand. I don't want to be saved. I've been happy. (laughs) They're like, I used to be able to roam wherever I wanted and now I'm stuck in your house. (laughs) We're touching on sort of contentious subjects here. um, But it's something that I do feel 
are we actually always saving these dogs or are we putting them into an environment in which they are not comfortable so while on the topic of rescues uh, my first dog kato who is a siberian husky he is actually a rescue he will be nine next month can't believe that we would have had him for eight years so he was just shy of a year old when we took him on um and i can tell you i was not ready for a siberian husky It wasn't actually a breed I was ever interested in. He did essentially fall in my lap. That's a story for another time. (laughs) But anyway, um, I learned so much from that dog. Um, And because I had started doing all of my qualifications and my training at this point, I knew that to give him the outlets that he needs was the most important thing. And my goodness, it changed our relationship. It changed that dog. He was such a frightened, anxious mess, for want of a better word, when we brought him home. Um, there was so much work to do, bless him. But we we started uh, Canny Cross. I'm not a runner. I have never been a runner, but my dog needed to run. He didn't have the training to be off lead, so that was not going to be an option. This was also eight years ago where the fenced in fields that you come across a lot now, they're not, they weren't really heard of actually. No. We didn't know any of them. They've only come about in the last few years. Yeah, they really. have. Um, so I, I took up running and it wasn't the most fun activity for me, I won't lie, but he loved it. And so we would do this maybe three times a week um, for his satisfaction. And on top of that, we did build on general training because he needed it and we did a little bit of agility which actually I found led into our recall training brilliantly suddenly I was fun and I was given instruction and it's what we're going to do next mum and for us that worked really really well Um, and a lot of huskies that I go and see um, with their owners it's not the same case at all Um, I think a lot of people do buy this breed or rescue this breed. There's a lot in rescue thinking, you know, they're so gorgeous to look at and they're so fluffy and all the videos you see of huskies online, they're so funny. They howl. They're so vocal. I'm going to teach my husky to howl and And put it on TikTok. It's all like a gimmick. (laughs) And actually they bring the dog home and my God, their whole world is turned upside down. This dog has energy to burn. Mm. And they don't know how they to do it. They were bred to run. Yes, they were bred <laughs> like, to run. They literally <laughs> were bred to run. This is why breed traits, such, it's such an important thing to talk about because huskies have such important, um, such big breed uh, breed traits. Like They're so inherent in how they are because we, we all know what huskies were bred for because it, it's very glamorized, you know. Massive. But we forget that they don't always necessarily cope in our environment because of that. And that howling is hilarious on TikTok, less so at half three in the morning when it's coming from de- your downstairs and you haven't slept in about three days. Exactly. <laughs> and then all of these become the issues that you go in to see and you end up sitting on the sofa being like, well, yeah, but you got a husky. Mm. <laughs> Didn't you know what like, you were in for? That's the thing, like, that's the thing I, that I do find frustrating and, and I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but sometimes you are brought in with the expectation to basically ask someone to get make their dog not the breed they are yeah and and you kind of don't know how to explain like but i can't (laughs) i can't make your husky not a husky i can help you train your husky and i can help you build a bond and a relationship and work on motivation for your husky but i can't make it not a husky and they don't realize they're asking that they don't realize they're saying no, Can you make don't. my husky not a husky? We're, we're no, kind of we're true. going back to something that we talked about on an earlier episode, aren't we? With um, Channing Tatum and the Malinois, the <laughs> ma- Magic Mike with dogs, Magic Mike um, with dogs. <laughs> well, that will forever be a favourite film. It needs to be brought out. It does, <laughs> yes. But you have these representations of of dogs in in the media and in films and people see them and they think oh yeah they look so gorgeous and look they're doing this thing and that that's fine but that dog that is in front of the camera there has got people who massively understand the breed have put in the time to make the bond and to work with the dog and most importantly of all that's the editor highlights you haven't seen the the sort of you know the 20 takes before where the dog went no i don't feel like doing that right now 
because they do exactly. that. And that, that dog may have two or three yeah. body doubles. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you could actually, there could be like four different dogs playing that one dog. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, yeah, obviously you worked through your journey with um, Kato and I bet it ta- taught you a lot as a trainer as well. Hugely. I, I honestly believe I learned more from that dog than from a lot of my training that I did. That's not to be negative on my training. It was fantastic. But that dog taught me so much about his needs, his breed in general, what I could get out of him. The relationship we built is solid, solid. Um, and yeah, it, but it took a long time to get there as well. That's the thing. It didn't all happen overnight. And again, I was a trainer. I was qualified at the time, very newly qualified. But some people might think, well, perfect. You've got all the answers then. No, I didn't. Not at all. Mm-mm. It was such a learning curve, honestly. We, honestly, we, we will never have all the answers. No. We, we just never will. But what you are, you know, getting when you pay to see a qualified trainer is the kind of accumulative effect of their experiences and their training. Um, and that's never going to be everything because the top ex- leading experts in the world do not know everything that there is to know about dogs yet because we simply don't have the technology to be able to know what we need to know. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could, you know, read their thoughts? If You know, what thoughts do they have? I mean, oh my gosh, I'm going to go in a whole different black <laughs> hole of things there. But, you know, you only know what you know. But what you can do... And what is guaranteed is if you do learn the breed you're wanting to get, you can at least have some little foot in the door of kind of what your dog may like, want, and why they might exhibit certain behaviours. Equally, not every dog is true to their breed because of breeding and because they're individuals and they're free thinking. Um, But it will really, really help you in understanding your dog if you understand what breed inherent traits there are that goes at play and that can come encompass your training you know if you want to teach, teach a really good recall with a retriever and they like retrieving incorporate that into your recall training so that you're further incentivizing your dog with something they love um to kind of want to do something that you want and need that's it we so often tend to focus on sort of the negative things that can happen with breed traits but when you know what makes up your dog and what their likes and dislikes are, it gives you so many more avenues to go down to find things that you enjoy. Like yeah. you say, with enjoying the agility, you know, yeah. and working with the dog. It's it's going down, picking out the things that they like to do and you can use that as, as like another form of reward, you know, as well as obviously, you know, we all know that treats work really well, but you can also use the chances to carry out these natural behaviours as like an... An intrinsic like an internal reward because they get such a reward internally from doing these things and it, it just makes everything so much better i mean to be honest that kind of leads into you know what one of your your other dog and what you're doing with him <laughs> in in his training yes yeah, so the funny story is so going back to the husky as i was saying well, i was giving him these outlets that he needed uh, the agility was one of them we did unfortunately find out he had had hip dysplasia about four years ago. So all agility and all canny cross had to come to a stop. Um, that was fine. And I started doing a little bit of gun dog work with him just in the garden, just to kind of occupy his mind. Um, and I was always interested in it. And he loved it. And this is not a breed trait for a husky at all. But suddenly mine wanted to go and search out dummies and retrieve them for me. So I was all for it. Um, fast forward another year and a bit and I was like okay I want a real gun dog now as much as Kato liked doing it he was never going to be as good and as motivated as a real gun dog to do this job that I had now got a real passion for um, so we started our search for a pro- say a proper gun dog uh, and then we got Bucky he's not a proper gun dog no he will be Um, He's fantastic. He's full of character. He's goofy. He's stupid. Um, (laughs) Honestly, yeah. Um, Flat coats. What breed is he? He's a flat coat retriever. Um, And I have to say, they're a pretty great breed. I do. He's so funny. All we do is laugh at him. Um, But when he's in working mode and we're doing work, he's just fantastic. The drive he has to see out these exercises is phenomenal. He has a sheer determination to get a job done. And when he comes back and he's finished it, he's like, right, what's next? And I love that about him. But if I wasn't to carry out this outlet for him, I wouldn't be left alone at home. 
he would be constantly twitching and wanting to do something. And probably becoming destructive. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. We'd have shoes, socks, everything chewed up. Um, and we've had none of that. And it, I do put it down to the fact that from very, very early on, we gave him the right outlet that he needed and started working on that. Um, and at the same time, there is also a time to end that outlet so he doesn't keep going because he's the type of dog that would just push himself until he was flat on the floor having a heart attack so we've had to incorporate a right finish now we're all done um whereas for some dogs if the motivation and drive isn't as high you would possibly keep the exercise a little bit shorter in general so your dog's still motivated to keep doing it later really good point i mean you sort of i mean jay you've got a collie and yeah, you've got my sins. you've got a dog <laughs> with very 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 strong breed traits as well, much like Lauren's. I mean, I've got a silly show cocker, but you know, um, <laughs> um, you know, what about your experiences with the breed traits that that um, your you know Finn has? And I know he's obviously got his extra his extra quirks, but in terms of his breed traits, um, he's special. Yeah, uh, probably the most noticeable thing with Finn is that he can be upside down snoring on the sofa and if he hears a single hint that we're getting up off the sofa you've got a dog in front of you going where are we going what are we doing (laughs) he has to control everything he has to know where his people are at all times I mean literally if I take someone and drop them off for an appointment he whinges in the back of the car until they come back in because he's he's not he's lost control he doesn't know where his people are and that bothers him he's very very visually motivated if something moves he's on it i mean you know prey drive wow i don't know what he'd actually do if he caught something but he's very determined to try and catch everything absolutely everything does he herd at all he's he's scared of sheep (laughs) no but you know sometimes they herd like they try and herd people and like other objects He's, he's never tried to herd us um he herds his football what he likes you to do is kick your football about 45 degrees so he can stop it. He has the most classically beautiful outrun I have ever seen on any dog. I mean, I used to work and train working sheepdogs. He has the most fantastically stylish outrun. He's got that collie stare down to an absolute magic. You know, he really, he looks the part. It's just that he is scared of everything, including <laughs> sheep. He's getting better with big sheep, but lambs are the devil's henchmen. Oh, those, those scary lambs. Yes, yes. They, they might be just laying their sunbathing, but they're apparently plotting world domination, according to Finn. They're very dangerous and they must be we must be protected from them don't worry so are all dogs plotting world domination according to some trainers <laughs> <laughs> oh we're gonna have an episode on that in the future aren't we yeah. a bit of myth busting yeah. we should look forward to that one yeah but yeah it's it's these, these traits they have been around for so many years and especially the gun dog breeds the, the pastoral the herding breeds you know they have been bred to work with us so it stands to reason that when you're going to do something these dogs are going to go right well where are we going what are we doing because they want to be with their people which is great if you're looking for a really close bond with your dog i mean you know this this dog he would go off a cliff for me in fact he nearly did once he did once try and run off the edge of beachy head oh, chasing a seagull which is a bit dramatic <laughs> oh yeah there was some swearing that day walking along walking along the top and he was just quite happily sort of flushing the seagulls and then I don't know what this one said to him but he was after it stop and all of a sudden he screeched to a halt and we saw his front paws go down a little bit and we've not actually been back there without a very long lead since yeah, no, I don't blame you <laughs> that was terrifying yeah I've, I've said before obviously collies are my, my thing I've always had collies and they do generally have these very very strong herding traits but equally we have to remember that every dog is in fact an individual and because a breed tends to have these traits you will get the odd sort of the outlier who doesn't Uh, my previous dog before Finn we actually specifically selected him to be a working sheepdog Um, he came from working stock he came from a farm he was brought up on a farm you know, he sort of met the animals. And when he was about eight months old, we took him out with one of our established sheepdogs to have his first go at actually rounding the sheep up. We sent the other dog off, you know, for him to follow. And he watched her go around the back of the sheep, said, no, thank you very much, took himself home and played in the garden with a football. 
and that was as close as we ever got him to sheep. He just <laughs> no, he had no chase drive, nothing. You know, unless it was a football, he was not going to chase it. He just. It was a complete sort of outlier. I've never seen a collie with less herding drive in my life. Cracking dog. Just wanted to be a just wanted to be a footballer. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be a footballer and a lorry dog. And he went. Actually, we left the farm, and he went on to have a very very long and happy career as a lorry dog, getting people to play football with him wherever he went. Brilliant. Oh, bless him. I actually did have a question for you. Um, you know, because we've talked a lot about. Um, umbrella terms for breed groups but i wondered if you could just talk our listeners through a few kind of of what what they mean basically for example pastoral group um companion group gun dog uh, guard you know what what do we mean by these because not everyone listening might know that yeah i mean some some of these terms like um if you have people like watch crafts you know you you see all the, the different groups of dogs and they're they're kind of loosely defined by what what the original purpose of the breed was. So your gun dogs were the, sort of the hunting and retrieving dogs, retrieving game. So that's your, your, your most common examples would be like your Labrador, your golden retriever, your flat coat retriever, that kind of thing. Pastoral, that's very much my group. That's where you have your herding dogs. So your border collies, uh, your Dutch shepherds, German shepherds. Uh, Dutch Shepherds, there's, I, I don't know, sometimes feel like there's about 15 different varieties. They get very confusing. So. <laughs> Australian Shepherds. Yes, Australian Shepherds. There's an American Shepherd now as well, I think. Um, then you have the Hounds, which can also be confusing because you have Sight Hounds or Scent Hounds. Sight Hounds, it's, it's basically how it sounds with Hounds. Sight Hounds chase things that they can see. So you're looking then at the Greyhound saluki whip it that kind of thing scent hounds they are the ones that work with their noses so bloodhounds beagles Beagles, foxhounds all all that kind of that kind of dog working is a bit of a a confusing group these days because pastoral used to be in there as well but working is kind of Um, some so some of them um they actually do cross over so you get um different dogs that also fit into multiple different umbrella terms i mean hark at us we're like trainers and behaviorists and we're all questioning which which one goes under which <laughs> but your guarding uh breeds come under the working umbrella term so um which also encompasses german shepherd mm-hmm. um and your dobermans and your rottweilers um and your bigger your bigger kind of guarding breeds like that um so they they come they come in different umbrella terms and you've also got your companion breeds um and these are they tend to be your smaller uh, breeds your, your lap dog breeds so your chihuahuas Papillons, they're a lovely little companion breed. Um, all those kind of smaller ones. I, um, a King Charles Cavalier, that's under the companion breeds. Um, because originally, you know, the King Charles Cavalier was bred to literally be a king's lapdog. So it's, it literally was bred for that purpose originally. Is it the ears are supposed to resemble the hair, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. They're supposed to resemble the hair of the king. Yeah, so there's all these different umbrella terms and, and you know, the best way to find out is you know look on places like the kennel club website you know they've got all the umbrella terms there and and all the different breed groups within it um the american kennel club as well um different different societies do have slightly different some have six some have seven groups um but just a general idea it will help you understand your dog a little bit better if you kind of know what what general category they fit in and then their breed specific traits within that there is a fantastic book actually which is really great for understanding all all the the different uh groups of dogs i don't know if either of you have read it meet your dog by kim brophy you're all you're always going on about Um, it i need to read it Oh, you definitely need to read it. It is a fantastic... The groupings in there are are sort of slightly different to like the Kennel Club groupings, which are the ones that we've been talking about. But it really is... Under each group, it sort of gives you examples of the breeds and what their traits are likely to be and what the traits are that are likely to cause clashes in human homes. And it's just a fantastic book for helping people to understand sort of where their dog comes from, like genetically and behaviourally. Kim's the one who 
who has the course the, for the family dog mediation, which which I've I've taken. I'm a certified family dog mediator, and it is just it's the most fantastic way of helping to explain to people where you know what makes up their dog, what makes their dog the character that they are from the, like the genetic and the historic viewpoint, and it really does help people to understand these breed traits. There's a couple. There's a couple as well of really. Oh, there's a big one we forgot about, which is the terriers. Oh, of course. Yeah, there's the. Terri- oh yes, ter- terriers are going to terrier. Yeah. yeah, that's that's something I say quite a lot because they they are lovely little dogs. Uh, tend to be very very driven. Yeah, they they quite often don't have much of an off switch, do they? They they like to do their thing. Again, they're a breed that a lot of people will get to just be a generic pet and a lap dog. Do you find that you get a lot of people who get little dogs expecting them to be easy and then they said you suddenly find you know they've got like a Jack Russell and yes. a lot of these terriers, they are... Like, Forgetting that it's a terrier, yeah. like a hunting dog actually. They're often yeah. bred to hunt like rats and mice and things like that. Yeah. They, they tend to be like yeah. a big personality in a small body, don't they? Yeah. Size, size means nothing with these dogs. They are big <laughs> yeah. personalities. The other one, the other group as well is the utility. Um, so utilities are like your Akitas, Poodles, Chow Chows, Dalmatian, that kind of thing. Spits, they're all they're all your utility breeds as well. Um, they're kind of, kind of the working dogs who don't fit under another group, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're basically. Sort of put in there. Basically. So yeah, the, the, the Kennel Club's main, main ones are Terrier, Toy which is like what I was referring to as your companion breeds. You've got the utility, your pastoral, um, your hound, and lastly, your gun dog breeds. So they're the ones that are kind of, you know, uh, defined by the kennel club, but different places will we'll call them different types. But I think as long as you do have an understanding of which category your dog fits into, it will help you in understanding your own dog's underlying breed traits and what their original purpose was for. We should point out those are the groupings for the UK Kennel Club yes. because the American Kennel Club has several more, I think. Is it like 10 for the yeah, they've American got more. Kennel Club? Yeah, they've got more. Yeah. I can't remember how much. In, ca- in, how case, in case our two listeners include somebody from overseas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you can really see how important it is to to really know the breed that you want or understand what you want from from your individual dog because as we discussed all these dogs have been bred for all these different purposes and as Jay um, sort of uh, started us off on the podcast with talking about um, genetics and evolution you can understand how they're, they're still really really prevalent in dogs even if you know they're kind of a third generation companion breed essentially now but actually is a dog that is bred for a working purpose but isn't isn't used for that anymore so whenever you are looking for a dog or or say you're in a position of looking for a puppy or a rescue whatever it is we're pro both we're pro choice um look at what you want from that dog and then find the dog that best fits that you will still of course have to cater to what your dog needs we aren't always going to fit them into our mold but if you're kind of already looking at what suits your lifestyle, you're, 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 it's half the battle. You're not having to compete with, you know, breed traits that don't go with your lifestyle because if you're naturally um, giving your dog an outlet to express these in your natural day-to-day life, then that's half the battle. For example, if you're getting a working dog and actually working it, that's an example there. People don't have to worry about these things when they're working their dogs, for example. And I think Lauren as well mentioned earlier that, you know, doing dog sports with, with your dogs can be really, can be really so good. so rewarding and it's, it's good for them as well. And it's worth, whether you're a new owner or actually if you already currently have a dog um, and you now know what breed traits they have and maybe what you'd be interested in looking into, have a search for a local trainer or a local club that can offer a class um, that can cater to that. Yeah, and make sure that they they do kind of positive reinforcement, um, fear-free methods, so nothing that involves intimidation. Another great thing that Lauren actually does um, for a lot of dogs, particularly your spaniels or your hounds, is those scent classes. They're fantastic. Like Luna, I, I want to do one soon, actually, one of Lauren's classes with Luna uh, when we get time. Um, but, you know, that can be really, like, scent-based stuff. It's going to can be such a fantastic breed outlet. You know, scent's one of the things we, we haven't spoken about too much in this episode, but it's one of the things that is often forgotten most. And a really easy way to incorporate that in, you know, is, you know, scatter feeding in, in your garden. If you're for dogs, for example, on dry food. 
And it's also good for so many breeds. You don't have to have a dog that's particularly nose-driven or goes into a certain group of dogs. It mm-hmm. can be for any breed. If your dog enjoys using their nose, which, let's face it, most of them do, odds are they're going to enjoy having these exercises where they use their nose. And actually, that kind of brings us on to a point that um, Jay and I were talking about prior to, to recording, and that is... And I'm sure Jay will talk to you more about this now, but that is let your dog sniff on walks. You know, it doesn't have to be a charge around. It is okay to let your dog stop and sniff kind of as much as they want within reason. Obviously not in the middle of the road. Yeah, completely. It's one of the easiest forms of enrichment that we can give our dogs. And it doesn't cost anything other than a bit of time just to let them go out. Yeah, if you think about it, as humans, we, we check our social media. You know, we, we check messages that have been left for us. Let your dog sniff, you know, let them check their P-mail. <laughs> I love that. Term. I know. It, I sounds, it sounds cheesy, but it's just the perfect way to put it. Let them check out what's been going on, you know, which dogs have been, been passed. And let them investigate. I mean, I've had walks with Finn where it has taken me 20 minutes to go 10 metres. But the thing is, even after those 10 metres, he will come home and he'll crash out for a good half an hour because it's it's just it stimulated his brain and made him think. And you know, he's he's really happy after just yeah, sort of 20 minutes, half an hour of sniffing time. It's so much more yeah, enriching for them. You have to understand with your dogs that just because as a human, it's something that we can't understand what they're seeing or getting out of it in that moment. It doesn't mean it's not important. And I think as humans, we're very often quick to be like, well, that doesn't make sense. I, my dog's got to walk 30 minutes because that's what I think it should do. But as you say, 20 minutes of 10 metres of sniffing can often be more enriching for your dog than a 20 minute fast paced walk. It's not always the case. Every dog is individual, much like people are. However, in that moment of, of doing, checking that P-mail, your dog is accessing a part of their brain and the way they perceive the world that we can't comprehend as humans. We can't replicate it. We don't understand. The closest we've got to kind of replicating how important scent is to your dog is like being blindfolded because that is, it is such a vital sense to them, the scent, like their noses. It's so much, I mean, what is it? Something like, I feel like I it's a hundred thousand times more sensitive than ours or something ridiculous it's like i think we have something like six million scent receptors and they have about 220 million up closer to about 300 million for for the scent breeds like the bloodhounds mental mental yeah it's it, it's a huge they've got something like 40 percent more processing capacity in the in the part of the brain that, that deals with sense i think i might be a bit off with that it might be more but i've i've 40% is what sticks in my mind. Yeah. We can't we we can't understand. We can't comprehend what they get from it. We just we just can't. So and just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we shouldn't let them do it and it's something that's often forgotten about because in our human world it's not important to us. But in their world it's really really important and gives them such a healthy outlet. Yeah, I I mean I would really love to kind of reframe the concept that a lot of people have of you know walking the dog. I don't like the phrase walking the dog to start with. You know, I go for a walk with my dog because you so often see people sort of going along with their dog marching at heel. And I, I just, I kind of sit there and I, I just want to say, whose walk is it anyway? I mean, you know, we, as humans, we can go and do what we want when we want, but our dogs are kind of restricted by when we take them out. So I would just love to see more people giving their dogs time to be dogs and to have that sniff and, you know have that time to really use what is the way the the primary sense they use to process their world it's like you say it would be like us being taken out for a drive in gorgeous countryside with a blindfold on yeah exactly well hopefully we haven't bored you all to death in this episode talking about breed traits but it is something that is so 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 important and something that is so often overlooked um in without you know dog um guardianship ownership whatever you like to call it um and that's not to say there's any judgment on owners because you don't know what you don't know but we're hoping in this podcast to give you guys a few of those hints and tips that makes your life easier and your dogs happier so that you can have a better bond and a better relationship so that you know there's less problem in inverted commas behaviors um and less kind of behaviors that require a behaviorist you know the more information we can put stuff out there so that less 
behaviors that are occurring that are kind of making dogs unhappy and owners unhappy the the more we're getting the message out there and the better we're doing at our jobs yeah something that um that, that i think would be a great idea especially for people who are looking to get their first dog would be to actually find a professional to chat to and actually describe yeah. their lifestyles and you know what what would work for them so that they can go into it with an idea of what breeds might suit them. I mean, you know, with, with a variety of breeds, dogs are one of the most diverse species on Earth, if not the most diverse species on Earth. So the chances are that there is going to be a dog that will suit your lifestyle. It's just a case of finding that particular dog that will suit you. And, you know, I, there are ma- very many canine pros who would be more than happy to, to have a chat about what, what would suit an individual situation to prevent because as louisa said before you know what we want is for people to not really need us we, we want to give people the tools and knowledge yeah. and ability to be able to live happily with their dogs and this is this is a part of that is you know helping people to select what is going to likely to be the right dog for them yeah no that's really good it's, i hope hopefully this has been useful to you guys um let us know <laughs> um but yeah, Lauren, any, any final thoughts before we, we, we lose you? Um, just to say thank you so much for having me, really. It's been really good fun. My first podcast. Man, I think I'm she's still done, surviving. I think she's done really well. I'm, and I'm sure our listeners will agree. And I just wanted to say a huge thank you to coming on as a guest and taking time out of your day and time away from your dogs to come and chat to us today. Um, don't forget to check Lauren out on her website and her social media pages, which are www.spiriteddogtraining.co.uk and you can reach us at Spirited Dog Training and Behaviour on Facebook. And Instagram. And Instagram. Yes, yes. and Instagram. Um, and as always, you can reach me at Canine Friends UK on both Facebook and Instagram and links to our website are all on there. And you can get me at Bluebell Minion on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter or via goodguardianship.com. Yeah, Jay's got about 20 different ways you can get in touch with her. So, you know, (laughs) Jay's your best bet. But um, no, thank you again so much, Lauren, for your time today. And Jay, as always, it's a pleasure to have our little chats. Listeners, I really hope you found this episode useful. Um, If you've got any suggestions of topics you'd like to hear, as always, hit us up, any one of us on our social media handles, and we'll be delighted to get um, hopefully a topic lined up that is something that you want to hear. And we will uh, see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.